So I'm curious, has anyone in here done any of those genetic testing things? You know, like Ancestry or 23andMe, any of those guys? Well, my family did. So about a few, uh, uh, let's see, it was about two years ago. My, my family did it. We got a few of the packages, and it was my dad, my sister, and then my wife, Pengfoa. So each of them did it. We figured that my sister and I didn't have to do it because genetically we are very similar coming from the same parents. And so, so we did that. And then we got the results. Like a month later, we got the results. And the results were really interesting. But they were also exactly what we expected, which was kind of cool. So if you've ever wondered about my ethnic history and my background, here it is. So I am 54% Scandinavian. Not at all a surprise, considering fair skin, blue eyes, formerly blonde hair, formerly hair. But yes, yeah, so Scandin- that's Denmark, Norway, and Swedish. Uh, my, my dad primarily hails of Denmark ancestry. My mom was Swedish, Norwegian. Um, I grew up eating Lefse, and thankfully no Lutefisk. So if there are any other Lefse fans out there, I am with you. I still make it to this day. So that, that's the majority of me, because I, I picked up that from both my parents. 33% British. Oi, give it a... Sorry, that's terrible. That's clearly, I'm way less than 33%. Okay. Um, I, I'm 7% Central European, so I'm kind of a Euro-mutt. And then 6% other, this was really interesting. I'm actually a few percent Arabian. I know. Who would have thunk? Nothing like a big, pale white guy as, as Arabian. But it's true, yeah, I came up a few, few percent that. A, a few percent Siberian. I don't know, maybe one of my ancestors got sent to the gulag to live in Siberia or something. But, but yeah, so it was very interesting. But it aligned exactly what what my, my dad and my mom had always talked about, about their ethnic heritage. So our DNA is fascinating. Our DNA is powerful. See, our DNA shows us where we've come from. It can show us who we are. And in some cases, it can even show us what our future might be with things like Alzheimer's, heart disease, high blood pressure. All of those have genetic links. Basically, if you want to understand a person, you look at their DNA. You know, the same thing is true for churches. If you want to understand a church, you look at its DNA. Every church has DNA. Some churches talk about it. It's explicit. It's part of their language. It's part of their, how they live and how they make decisions. And sometimes it's unspoken. It's beneath the surface. Sometimes the church isn't even aware of its DNA, but it's there because every church has it. So if you want to understand a church, you look at its DNA. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next couple months. We're kicking off a new series here called River Life DNA, the building blocks of our church. And I've done my best to distill River Life down to nine key elements Nine core aspects of our identity. These are the building blocks. These are the river life DNA. And we're going to be talking about them over the next couple months. And we're going to be talking about things like our mission, vision, so our mission, our values, our vibe. We're going to be talking about baptism and membership. Incidentally, we actually have baptism coming up at the end of the month. If you are a Christ follower and you have not been baptized, now is your shot. 
Okay? End of the month, September 30th, we're going to be doing baptisms. We're also going to be doing, a little side note, we're also going to be doing baby dedications. Because we got a ton of new babies around here. Like, our nursery is just bursting at the seams. Okay? So, yeah, so if you've got a new baby or if you're new to church and you've got kids of any age and you want to dedicate any age children, you can do that. They don't just have to be babies. We do child dedications around here, not just baby dedications. Uh, yeah, so baptism, come see me. Go to the info table if you have not been baptized. Um, also, uh, in a few months, in a couple more months, we're actually going to be introducing membership to River Life. It's part of our growth as an Alliance Church, and you're going to learn more about that next week when we talk about the denomination we belong to, the Christian Missionary Alliance. But membership is part of being an Alliance Church. So you're going to start hearing about that. And then in a couple months, we're going to spend a whole Sunday talking about it. And then we're going to have membership classes and, and all that. And I'm still wrestling with how to do membership really well. Because my guess is if you've been around churches at all, you've probably seen membership done poorly. I know I certainly have. And I want to figure out how we can do membership really well around here at River Life. So those are some of the things we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how can you serve? How can you make a difference in the kingdom of God? And then what's your next step? So all kinds of exciting things. So if you've ever been curious about River Life, if you've been curious about me, this will be a great series because you're going to learn about both. Every week we're going to go up to the River Life car and pop open the hood, and you're going to be able to see inside about why we do what we do. So this week, I want to talk about leadership. And this is kind of funny to say. I've, I've never actually said this out loud to everyone. But like, did you know I never expected to be a pastor? I never envisioned myself to be this guy, leading a church, preaching every Sunday to a, to a whole congregation. Nope, this was never on my radar. For me, it was youth ministry. I loved youth ministry. I started working with teenagers when I was in college with summer camps, and I kept going. I was a high school teacher and a, a coach, water polo and swimming coach, and then I was in, in church youth ministries part-time while I was a computer programmer, and, and I stayed in church youth ministries. So ever since college, I was, I was involved in youth ministries, and I loved it. I absolutely was convinced that I was going to be a youth ministry lifer. I was going to be like the old gray-haired guy, or I guess no-haired guy, but I guess I was going to be the old guy still playing chubby bunny with a bunch of teenagers. I could beat them all because I could take out my teeth and shove more marshmallows in my I could beat them all. But that, that is exactly how I envisioned my life in ministry. And then about six years ago, so I was in seminary. About six years ago, God started to give me and my wife, a vision of starting River Life, of building a church from the ground up geared towards second and third gen Hmong. And we started dreaming and praying and envisioning. And all of a sudden, what I had thought for years <laughs> was going to be my leadership ministry changed. And I started thinking about taking this mantle of pastor. It started out, it still is kind of weird. Because like back then, I, I was kind of laughing. I was like, oh, come on, God. You could have told me this earlier. I did not take a single church planting class in seminary. Nope. Nothing on church planting. Nothing on lead pastoring. Nope. None of that. It was all youth ministry because <laughs> that's what I was going to do. So I always had this little reluctance 
about coming into this pastoral role. In fact, when we launched, I felt really awkward having people call me Pastor Greg. Because for so many years, I was always just Greg. <laughs> I even remember telling people, no, 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 just call me Greg. And it took me a little while to step into this, this role and embrace this role of pastor. And then I finished ordination, and then now I'm reverend. Now, that's even weirder, so don't feel at all obligated to call me Reverend Greg or Reverend Rhodes. That feels like I should be in, like, the archdiocese or something. So Pastor Greg, totally fine. <laughs> but it's true that this role of leader of a church was never really on my radar. So how about you? When you think of the leadership of River Life, who or what comes to mind? Maybe it's me. You've been around. You, I'm the guy up here rambling for a half hour or so on Sundays. Um, maybe it's Kong. You saw earlier our newly hired, uh, soon-to-be official associate pastor. He's new, still sort of associate to the pastor right now. But maybe it's Kong. Maybe it's Johan, you see him up on stage playing with the band, or Alicia involved in all of our community events, community engagement ministry, you see her up here. Um, so who is it that, you, that comes to mind when you think about the leadership of River Life? Well, chances are there's a person that might not have come to mind for you. It certainly doesn't always come to mind for me as well. And that's Jesus, the head of the church. Okay, now, now I, I know what you're thinking. That is such a church answer. <laughs> okay, whenever the pastor asks you any question, just say Jesus. Okay, what's well, white fluffy with big ears and a cotton tail? You're thinking, that sure sounds like bunny rabbit, but I better say Jesus. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's your just answer Jesus. Okay, I know, it's totally a church answer, but it's true. It's true. Jesus is the head of the church. And this one statement is the foundation of what's known as ecclesiology. It's the study of churches, the formation, the structure, the practice of churches. Ecclesiology. And this is the very first part of that. Jesus is the head of the church. And so that's why it's our first DNA building block, that Jesus here at River Life is the head of the church. Now, this means two things. First, that Jesus is the head of the whole Christian church. That is the, the church of all believers across all time. That's, we, we, kinda, we, we often refer to that as the capital C church. That's all believers, all time. Jesus is the head of that church. But also it means Jesus is the head of this church. This, this is the, the lowercase c church. This church is an expression of God's universal church. And there, thank goodness, there are lots of different expressions of God's church. Lots of different styles and cultures, and people, and sizes, and locations, all of them are expressions of God's universal church. And God is the head of both of them, the big C church and the little C church. So where does this idea come from? Where does this come from? Well, it comes out of the New Testament. There are three places in the New Testament where 
where Jesus is explicitly said to be the head of the church. And then maybe about another half dozen places where it's implied fairly clearly, but it's still an implication. So there are a little under a dozen places in the New Testament that talk about Jesus as the head. The one we're going to look at today is probably the biggest and the best. It's one of the defining passages for this concept, that Jesus is the head of the church. It's out of the book of Colossians. In the very beginning, it's chapter 1. And it's just a handful of verses. And this is one of those locations where Paul, the Apostle Paul, explicitly says Jesus is the head of the church. Now, the primary theme of the book of Colossians, it's a short book, there are only four chapters, I think it is, um, and three of those are spent talking about this idea of what's called the supremacy of Christ. So the book of Colossians is focused on this idea of the supremacy of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Quite simply, it means that Jesus is better than anything you can line up against him. Jesus is better. That's the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is better than the Old Testament law. Jesus is better than wisdom. Jesus is better than morality. Jesus is better than wealth, success, prosperity, sex. Jesus is better than the new iPhone they're going to announce in two weeks. Jesus is better than an in-and-out double-double animal style. Jesus is better than whatever beautiful person you're in love with from the cast of Crazy Rich Asians. Because you know you're in love with one of them, okay? Jesus is better than anything you can compare him to. That is what the supremacy of Christ means. And that's what a lot of the book of Colossians is focused on. And this passage in particular, he kicks off, he de- so Paul starts off with some welcomes, some greetings, some thanksgiving, some prayers, as he often does in his letters, and then he moves it. The very first big topic he hits, the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is better than fill in the blank. And that's what we're going to look at today. And in the middle of this is this little verse about Jesus as the head of the church. So we're going to start with verse 15. You can follow along on your phones. If you brought your Bible, flip to it, or you can read along on the screen. The Son is the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, okay, that's a heavy way to start a paragraph. And so let's, let's explain this a little bit. First, Paul begins by explaining, by affirming a basic truth about Jesus. God's invisible, Jesus is not. God's way out there somewhere, Jesus was right here on earth. God's invisible, Jesus is not. That Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. He's not a close facsimile, he's not a copy of a copy of a copy, he's not mostly God, no. He is fully God. He is an exact representation. Everything that God is, is in Jesus. And he is visible. He was a real live person. And we can read what he said, what he did. 
See, Jesus brings clarity to our fuzzy, vague notions of God. So I've got a theory about atheists. I believe that very few atheists reject God. I believe they reject Christians. Because the truth is, God is too ambiguous, too vague of a concept for most people to get that passionately objection, object to. But Christians, yeah, you can object to Christians. You can object to churches. You can object to sin permeating churches. You can object to hypocrisy. You can object to pride, to arrogance, to hatred to racism, to homophobia. You can object to those type of things. And that's why Paul says we need Jesus. And as a church, we need to be like Jesus. Because Jesus points us to God. Jesus shows us who God is. God is too vague of a concept for us to really wrap our heads around. But you know what? Read the book of John. Read the book of Matthew. Now that you can wrap your heads around. So he starts off with that. And then he goes to this statement, the firstborn of all creation. Now, now some of you, if you've studied a little theology, then some of you might be wondering, wait, I thought Jesus wasn't born, like before Jesus on earth, but Jesus in heaven with God. Like, wait, was he created by God? Was it like day one, God created the heavens and the earth and Jesus? Okay? What does it mean that he is the firstborn over all creation? Well, partly this is a little linguistic problem we have. Because, see, we see this word firstborn. We see it as a sequence term, like birth order. I'm the secondborn. My sister was the firstborn. But that's not at all how, how Jewish people of the time uh, would have seen this term. To them, this term is actually one of status. When it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, it means that Jesus has a higher status than anything else in creation. It doesn't mean he was created. It means he has a higher status. That's really what what that means. Um, So it's not about birth order or sequence or Jesus was created because Jesus was never created. Jesus has existed as long as everything. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all existed prior to existence. That's Jesus. But this idea of firstborn is he is a higher status over everything else in creation. Because notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say that it's the highest, that Jesus is the highest within creation. Nah. He says he's the highest over creation. So that's the first part to think about with Jesus. That he is the highest. Remember the supremacy of Christ. This is a status statement. So then he continues. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities... All things have been created through him and for him. Now, I've highlighted the the prepositions in here. In him, through him, 
for him. Because they're really important. Now, now we, we just heard that Jesus has a higher status over creation. But did you know Jesus was actually involved in creation? So Genesis 1, way back on the first few pages of the Bible, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was there. God created the sun and the moon. Jesus was there. God created the earth, the light, the plants, the animals, humans. Jesus was there. Jesus was an active agent in creation. Now, exactly who did what? What did the Father, God the Father do? What did God the Son, Jesus, do? And what did, what did the Holy Spirit do? Eh, we're not entirely clear. The Bible's a little vague on that. But it's very clear that in Him, everything was created. Through Him, everything was created. For Him, everything was created. That means our whole globe, and that means you. In Him, you were created. Through Him, you were created. And for Him, you were created. And in case that wasn't all-inclusive enough, what was Jesus involved in creating? Was He just created, was he creating like this side and then, then Holy Spirit took care of that side? No, no, check it out. He created things in heaven, things on earth. Things visible, things invisible. Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. That's pretty all-inclusive. And what's interesting about that combination of thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, those are words that Scripture uses to describe spiritual powers and also earthly powers. So any power, any angel, any emperor, any king, any president, God created. That's the all-inclusiveness of Christ in creation. So when you read Genesis 1, Jesus is there, right there in it all. So let's continue. He is before all things, and in him, in him all things are hold together. So, he wasn't just in Genesis 1. He was like in Genesis 0. He was in the prequel to Genesis. That was God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit, the prequel to Genesis. He was before all other things, the stuff, the planet. He was before that. And then I love this phrase, in him all things hold together. Think about that. Gravity, that's Jesus. Molecular cohesion, that's Jesus. E equals MC squared, that's Jesus. Science has done a remarkable job at quantifying our measurable empirical world. And behind all of that is Jesus. As, as one British theologian described it, he keeps the cosmos from becoming a chaos. That's Jesus. If Jesus removed himself, literally everything would just... <laughs> True. Because Jesus is the one that holds it all together. 
So now, at this point in the passage, he shifts topics. The first half was focused on Christ's supremacy over creation. Now, the second half is going to focus on Christ's supremacy over redemption. And he begins with this statement. And he is the head of the body, the church. So he takes what was big and up in the heavens and in the invisible, and he brings it down to earth. He brings it down to earth. Jesus is the head of the church. And so to explain this idea of Jesus as the head, he, Paul uses one of his favorite analogies for the church, the body. Now, to help us understand this, here's Barbie with a very, very bad hair day and apparently a broken neck. <laughs> okay. But I guess that happens to Barbie, okay? So here's Barbie. Now, usually when Paul uses the metaphor of body, He's referring to all of us, and we are hands. We are oddly feet in high heels. We are kneecaps. We are legs and hands and arms. and We are all interrelated. That's the usual way that Paul uses this analogy of the body. We're all connected. We're all interrelated. We all need each other. But that's not how he uses it here. Here, he, he uses it in a different way. He says, Jesus is the head. We're the body. The church, the big church, big capital C church, and little, cap, little lowercase c church, we are the body. He is the head. We are the body. And as head, he is sovereign over the body. As body, we are connected to the head by this weirdly long neck. What human has this? Is Barbie half giraffe? I don't know, okay? But, but as body, we are connected to the head. That's how it works. And the head is sovereign. The head is the lead of the church. The church does not exist to meet my needs or your needs, or our needs, or the neighbor's needs. No. The church exists to fulfill the purposes of the head. So what are those purposes? Well, Paul continues. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. There's the word again. There's the theme, supremacy. Okay. He, excuse me, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So what does this mean? So this is a reference to resurrection. He is the firstborn from among the dead. Now, there will be a day. It could be tomorrow. It could be thousands of tomorrows from now. But there will be a day where all who have died will be resurrected. But that day has not come yet. But Jesus Christ was resurrected. So not only chronologically was he the first to be resurrected, that's the birth order idea, 
But more importantly, Christ's resurrection has a higher status. Remember the definition of the, the firstborn? Christ's resurrection has a higher status than every other resurrection that will come in the future. Why? Because our resurrection is because of Christ's resurrection. Christ has a higher status, his resurrection, because our new life, our resurrected bodies come from Jesus. And that's what this is saying, that he is the firstborn of the resurrected new life people. All of us are going to be the later born if Jesus doesn't come back before we die. We too will be resurrected. So now, he, he closes with an amazing statement. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, referring to Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, the fullness of God was entirely in Jesus. And God was pleased to have it that way. The fullness of God. See, now that's different than the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, God came down and resided in the tabernacle or in the temple. But then he would leave. The Spirit of God would fill a person for a certain task. Would fill Moses, would fill Samson, would fill Elijah. And then the Spirit of God would leave. But with Jesus, that changed. So prior to Jesus, the fullness of God never resided anywhere. But with Jesus, the fullness of God came to be, to reside fully and permanently. That's, that's why Christ is so important. The, the presence, the fullness of God does not reside here in this building. The fullness of God resides in Christ. And we as a church can reside, we can abide, we can remain in Christ, in that fullness of God. So now, so he dwells fully and permanently in Christ. But why? Well, to fulfill Christ's purpose. And he closes with this idea. He says, it's to reconcile himself, to himself, all things. That includes us, that includes you. Christ's purpose is to reconcile you to God, to restore a broken relationship. That's what sin does. That's what sin did. It broke our relationship with God. And Christ came to restore that relationship. That vertical relationship between us and God. And then you know what sin also did? Sin also broke our relationship with other people. Jesus came to reconcile, to restore that broken relationship with your spouse, with your family, with your parents, with your kids, with your friends, with your coworkers, even with yourself. But Jesus also came to reconcile our broken relationship with our world. Our world is hurting. Our world is dying. Our world is groaning to be renewed. And one day it will be. Just like one day followers of Christ, we will be 
renewed as well. So one great thing about the way that Paul ends this passage is it affirmed that it was not God's purpose to judge. It was not God's purpose to destroy, to punish. No, it was God's purpose to reconcile. It was God's purpose to restore things the way God, it was Jesus' purpose to restore things the way God created it. Paul began this passage by saying that Jesus is supreme over all creation. And here he ends this passage by saying that Jesus is supreme over redemption. And it is his desire to redeem all of that creation that he is supreme over. And that includes you. So, if you've been tracking here, you might be asking the question, how does this connect to church? There was one little line in a whole big paragraph and a couple paragraphs worth of stuff. How does this all connect with church? <coughs> well, Christ's redemptive plan to reconcile everything to God. That happens in the church. Christ is supreme over all things that is most visible in the church. Christ's purpose is to reconcile, to restore people into relationship with God. That happens in the church. Christ shed his blood on the cross for us, and that is celebrated in the church. See, Jesus Christ is head over creation head over redemption, and head over the entire Christian church, and head over River Life Church. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you and me? Well, three things. First, what does this mean for me? So here's a little application just for me. You can just sit and watch, okay? What does it mean for me? The truth is, I'm not the lead pastor of River Life. And God, help me if I ever get that into my head. Because Jesus Christ is the lead pastor. He's the senior pastor. He is the leader. He's my boss. He's the one that I am responsible to. He is the one I am accountable to. He is the one I should be modeling my life after. He is the one that I will have to stand before and give an accounting of how well I have pastored or how poorly I have pastored, I have shepherded his flock. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And that's, that's a pretty heavy thing for me to think about sometimes. It's a lot easier for me to think that I'm just leading an organization. But I'm not. I may be the lead pastor here, the guy who stands up on stage. But Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And if you ever get the feeling that I am not living that out, you call me on. And if you're scared of me, find someone bigger than me and have them call me out on it. Because <laughs> that means I am failing. If you ever get the feeling that I am not living with Christ as my head, as an individual, as a husband, or as a pastor. How about for us collectively? What does this mean? What does this mean that Jesus is the head of the church? Well, we need to remember 
This church is not about us. It is really easy, especially after you start coming to a church long enough, you start thinking that this church is about you. Or I start pastoring long enough and I start thinking this church is about me. This church is not about us. So here's how one pastor put it. The church belongs to Christ, not because we've decided to make him the head, but because he is the head and he decided to make us the body. Christ has gathered us together. We are his people. The body serves at the direction of the head. Our calling is to be responsive to him. So does that describe us? Does that describe us as a community, as a church family? Are we responsive to him? Lastly, third. This is for each of you individually. How connected are you to Jesus' body, the church? Whether it's this one or another one. But if you're a Christ follower, if you have declared that you are following this head, you need to be connected to a body. Whether it's this church or another one. How involved are you here at River Life? And this is, excuse me, this is really for those of you who call River Life your home. How involved are you? Do you attend more than you miss? How emotionally engaged, how relationally engaged are you to the family of God here at River Life? You see, if you're a true Christian, if you have union with the head and the head is connected to the body. You have union with the body. You can't have it any other way. You can't be a Christian connected to the head, which is Jesus, and not be connected to the body. Because if you are, you're serving a disembodied head. And I think a lot of Christians don't realize that when they love Jesus, but the church is kind of a lower priority to them, they're carrying around a disembodied head. And it doesn't work like that. That's why church involvement, that's why being here is so important. Because the head is attached to the body. There is no such thing as, I love Christ, but I don't really like the church. I love Christ. I'm a Christian, but I'm not really involved in a church. That's this. It doesn't work. If you love the head, you're attached to the body. That's the way God designed it. And that's one of, the, one of the ideas of this series, is to help you understand river life more so that you can love river life more. And so you can get more connected to the body because the head belongs with the body. 
You love the head, stay connected with the body. That's how God designed us to be. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you that you are great and that Jesus Christ is greater than anything we could compare him to. God, and I collectively stand before River Life. Lord, I confess to you all the times and all the ways we make something else bigger in our lives than Jesus. God, that is sin, that is disobedience, that is rebellion against you. Lord, so I pray that today, today, that we can recognize Christ in his rightful place as supreme over creation, supreme over our lives, supreme over this church. Let us recognize Christ in that place. God, and for those who are on the spiritual journey and aren't, aren't quite sure what to believe of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you can, you can impress upon their hearts your love, your desire to reconcile them to you, the, a desire to give them new life found only in Christ. And let them know that it is your desire to restore, restore them in all ways. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus, Lord. What, a, what a, a model he was during his years here and what a model he still is. And I declare here Jesus as the head of River Life. Not me, not our district, not our denomination, but Jesus Christ. So we lift all of these people up in the name of Jesus Supreme above all. Amen.